I'm Yasi Salik, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to... The Prestige TV podcast. My name is Charles Holmes, one half or one fourth of the Midnight Boys and the host of the Ringer Music Show. I am joined by Van Lathan of Higher Learning and the Midnight Boys. Pew, pew. pew, pew. And we are here to discuss the final season of Atlanta. How are you feeling today, Van? I am in content bliss. I watch House of the Dragon. I watch Atlanta. I watch Andor? all of these. Hey, no screeners. You guys watch the screeners. I didn't watch it. <laughs> no screeners. It's not happening again. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but look, Atlanta is a, a, is a welcome change of pace. This show is so important for so many reasons. And, you know, this is a curveball from the content we normally get to cover. So I'm, I'm loving doing this. This is amazing. Yeah, we are here to talk about the third episode of the fourth season, Born to Die, directed by Adama Ibo, written by Jamal Alori. And in this episode, we have an A, a plot, B plot. In the A plot, Paperboard performs at a bar mitzvah where dad asks him to mentor a wannabe rapper son for a million dollars. Paperboy says yes, and in the process, Alfred meets a committee of aging Black rappers who are interested in working with YWEs, which they call young white avatars to extend their own financial longevity in the music industry. And then in the B plot, Ern is working at a management company that just took on an older white woman client who wrote a New York Times bestseller after getting caught on camera pulling a gun on a black kid who was going door to door for a fundraiser. So Ern convinces his boss that he can sign D'Angelo to a management deal, which also doubles as a way for him to not have to work on this new account. Van, I personally thought Born to Die is, out of the three episodes so far, was my favorite episode of the season so far, and honestly, one of the better episodes of Atlanta. Like, I was very taken with this. How, how are you feeling about this episode? So, I like this episode a lot. I'm interested to know why you're so taken with it and what it really did to you. So, I think because... Is that a cut water? 
No, this is a this is a nice spin drift, okay? Oh, I'm, nice thinking, you, I'm thinking you're getting food. Hey, nah, bro, I'm trying to stay okay. hydrated. <laughs> right. But I think Born to Die, why it hit me so hard is someone who is still entrenched in music, writing about music, has to think about it every day. I think this season, what we talked about last week, is about the life cycle of a rapper, what it means to die as a black artist more so metaphorically than physically sure and what this episode is really really doing is showing how paperboy is still young alfred is still young he just got he says it in this episode he just got off an arena tour yeah and already a new generation is looking at him like he's washed up like he's old days news there's even a part when they go to um to this meeting where alfred goes and they're talking about the three stages of rapper. And to me, this isn't the three stages of any rapper. This is three stages of a street black rapper, which is your young street. And they used Chief Keith as all of the examples. Then you're the OG. And then you're in family films with Ice Cube. And I yeah. think what this episode and what the season is really interrogating is the ways we throw away black artists and the ways that because we're so obsessed with what's new, what's fresh, we really kind of brush aside people when they still have so much to give. And that is what I love as someone who writes about art. And let me tell you, there are a bunch of rappers that like are popular and big right now uh-huh. who don't bring you any traffic. Huh. People just don't care. So I, I agree with you, but I also have maybe a slightly different take. I think what we legislate a lot of times in hip hop and what this episode might be legislating is actually whether or not it's okay to have nothing left to give. Now, Paperboy probably comes before that, right? But a lot of the rappers that I see now are only relevant because of their shenanigans. The older rappers are only relevant because of their shenanigans on social media. The people no longer gravitate towards the music and the reason why is because rap is so some of the rap that we're talking about here the street stuff it can all be sort of uh explained away in youthful exuberance or not having an understanding of the real world when you're 22 23 24 some of the things that are being rapped about are let's face it bad i mean whatever bad or or dysfunctional whatever and those things can be explained when you're struggling, when you're when you have this proximity to struggle, when you have this proximity to a certain lifestyle. After a while, people start to ask questions about who you are, what it is that you believe, and where you're going. And I think certain people have have been able to broaden the scope of what it is that they're discussing or the type of music that they're making. It's kind of what J. Cole was talking about in 1985. And certain people haven't. So the question for me is, what happens when you don't have anything left to give? Because, you know, the the Rolling Stones are going to be able to sing those songs till they die. I can't get no satisfaction. They couldn't get it then. They probably still can't get it now. You know what I mean? Um, Sympathy for the Devil. They're going to be able to see those songs for a long time because in a lot of ways, the music doesn't reflect a specific time in their life. It might re- reflect a specific you know, uh, thought in the head, Usher can do, you don't have to call today. He can make the same type of R&B music and it won't, it won't feel inauthentic. People not, might, might not gravitate towards it anymore, but it might, it won't feel inauthentic. So when I looked at what Paperboy was going through, the young white avatar, I think that has to do, and that's, 
actually asking an interesting question about this hyper youth culture that we're in. Because when I was 13, what I had to do in order to be a part of a cultural discussion, I had to grow up. Right. I had to I had to watch things that were a little bit ahead of me. I had to watch things that uh that I maybe didn't understand all the way. Now though, if you are a 13 year old, there are YouTube videos specifically for the people, there are artists specifically for where you're from. Not saying that they haven't been child artists, but saying that those child artists have normally had to connect with a group uh that was a little older than them if they wanted to be successful and taken seriously, right? Now like, there are pockets of relevance that only exist on the internet. People that are multi, multi-millionaires that you have no idea who they are or why or what it is that they're doing. My nephew was watching this little kid play with his toys. Yeah, I got- had a hundred million <laughs> views. You know what I mean? Yeah, that kid's a million. So, 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 so the question is like, if you're a rapper and you don't have anything left to give, right? Because I understand- it works both ways because there are definitely artists that still have something left to give. But what if you don't? How do you give now? And in order to give now, you got to give the game. You got to give it to a young white avatar, somebody that won't see you coming through the door. Well, I also think the reason that this episode did so much for me is because there's a thing that I've all, like last week, we don't have to get into it. It happened again. People were arguing about white rappers. Um, we're arguing about Mac Miller, all these things. And I think what this episode is also trying to interrogate is how much farther white artists can get in art forms that were created by black people. I say this all the time and people want to bite my head off. There's a reason why Adele has gone diamond multiple times over and Jasmine Sullivan hasn't. Both of them have equal amounts of talent, but because generally the people in, in America who have the most money are white, they want to see themselves reflected. It is the same thing with an Eminem. Eminem has talent. Like Eminem is one of the best rappers to do it. But there is a level of Eminem could go farther than a lot of his peers because he could get into rooms that your average street black rapper just can't. I've worked at those places. I've worked, I've heard people talk behind closed doors about white rappers and black rappers who gets the cover who gets to go to the vmas who gets like the primo seating and who doesn't and a lot of the young uh white avatar episode is paperboy and all of these other rappers realizing that the only way that re- we can actually truly get this type of financial freedom is by finding these people because what is the young kid benny say to to paperboy the first the moment he sees him, he says, quote, you're the dude my dad bought. Like, think about how fucked up that is. He's looking at a black man and being like, oh, my dad bought you. And then Yodel Kid says right after that, I know you. I used to listen to you when I was a kid. I'm under the impression that even though this is a, it's been four seasons, Paperboy's probably been in the game for five or six years at this point. It's on the way out. He's already on the way out. He's already at a level of such, like, kids give him such little respect. A white kid can look at him and essentially be like, I own you for a couple hours. Go, like, sit in the corner, have fun. That's messed up. And you got to look at how this reflects real life. I'm not calling anybody else specifically, but we're seeing this. Is the kid Leroy a white avatar? Is 
Oh, uh, because remember, Harlow. Jack, Jack Harlow, Harlow right? Russ, so, like, come Russ on. a little different. No, Russ, I'll be Russ a little different. <laughs> Russ is. A, I'm gonna be honest with you. So, by the way, I, I will say Russ a little different. Russ was grinding, grinding for a long time. He went. I'm not gonna take that away from him. Yeah, like Russ, Russ a little different. Like, and and all of these guys are talented, right? But the kid Leroy was like found by Juice World and Lil Bibby. Okay, you, you, you. This is our same boom, boom, boom. Like Jack Harlow, that's drama and canon, right? Like, and so this is like, oh shit, we got something. Let's put him out here. Let's get his fucking hair fixed. Let's grow the beard in. Let's do this whole thing. And we put him on a song. He got talent. Nobody would be able to tell the difference except the only people that be able It's not about whether or not our generation, our consumer base can tell a difference, right? It's not the fact that whether or not the black people listen to it can tell the difference because the black standard for stuff normally is talent. Like We want authenticity and stuff like that, but really we want talent, right? Um, the people who can tell the difference are the white consumers. And the difference is the difference that they see. And the difference that they see is the, the color of uh, of the, the skin a lot. So when I saw this episode, I saw it. This is like a really deep sort of old man in the sea episode of Atlanta where a rapper is forced to confront their own mortality. And that seems like, because we did that a little bit before with uh, Blue Blood, it seems like that's going to be what Al goes through. My question for you was this. Was this funny? Like, is Atlanta... Because I, I have to keep it on... I'm watching these shows, and I think that they're great. Like, they're really good. I'm not laughing. And is Atlanta still funny? All right, to be fair, are any of these shows that are in the Atlanta milieu funny? I think it's a different type of, like... The best way I can describe it is it's a different way of making a comedy where it's not about laugh-out-loud jokes in the way that I think the first two seasons were. Uh-huh. A lot of these characters, to be quite actors, have gotten better at acting. I think they're interrogating issues that are a little bit more deep. And I think that, like, I'll put it to you this way. I don't laugh out loud when I'm watching Reservation Dogs. I don't. Like, it's, I love that show. It's one of the best shows out. I'm not laughing out loud at that. Even though it is a comedy, it's 30 minutes. I would ask you, is Atlanta a comedy anymore? Just because I think we tend to say because it's 30 minutes, it's automatically a comedy. When I'm just like, Atlanta at this point is a 30-minute drama. We just don't talk about it because people don't make 30-minute dramas, really. I think it's I think it used to be a comedy. I think now it's its own thing. I think uh, the surreal nature of the show, the um, topical nature of the show, it's more satire. I will put it in the... Okay, how about this? So, and I feel like this is kind of a... This is actually cultural in a way, too, because there are other shows that we don't... It's succession of comedy. Succession, we put it in a drama because it's an hour, but it's really a comedy. Like, there are really, like, setups and punchlines and, like, go, 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 go. But because it's on HBO, because it's an hour, it's a comedy. I was tweeting about it yesterday. House of the Dragon, supposed to be a prestige drama. At this point, it's like a soap opera slash comedy. It is funny. It's not trying to be funny, but there are moments when I point at the screen and I laugh. So, I... I 
the reason why I bring up Succession is because Succession has wildly funny moments, right? And it's a show that doesn't work if it's not funny. And to me, that's what makes a show a comedy. If What makes a show a comedy to me is if it doesn't work if it's not funny. Because there are plenty of other things that have comedic elements, but like you could still, it could still work with no jokes, right? It would, with no jokes, it would still work. Atlanta works perfectly without ever, without it ever being funny. It just doesn't need to be funny anymore. And so, and so to, to me, it's transcended that a little bit. And episodes like this where you see things that are amusing and satirical and almost whimsical in a way, because even Ern's entire thing with the D'Angelo situation, it's odd and it's crazy with the fake D'Angelo, but it's not, it wasn't funny. You know what I mean? It's like, well, there was nothing to really to laugh at. It was almost like, it's actually like looking at an art piece. Have you watched uh, Rathaniel by Ger- uh, Gerard Carmichael yet? Yeah. Perfect example. Something where, to me, that was one of the best stand-up routines I've seen in decades. Was it laugh-out-loud funny throughout? No. Was it still stand-up? To me, it was. He's trying to break the form. And that doesn't mean that it's like any lesser because it's not like laugh-out-loud, laugh-out-loud funny. It's literally someone who could do that. Like, I think one thing that we've learned about Donald Glover, Stephen Glover, all the people who created this is like, they can do the funniest thing possible. They can. They did it for two seasons. I think they're trying to do something different. What also I wanted to ask you, though, See, and that, we, have epi- a different, we have a difference about that with stand-up comedy. A lot of people go to stand-up comedy and they could just be entertained by a guy on the screen. If I go to, a, if I watch in a stand-up comic, I want to laugh. See, we're different. I want to, like, I don't mind if, there, if a stand-up comic is like, I'm going to try to do something different. No, I don't mind it, but you know, like we we I've talked a lot about this show, and I hope that people get a chance to see it. Random Acts of Flyness on HBO. Have you ever seen it? Is that the one with all the fucking freaky shit? Like I saw some shit. I was like, I can't do this, bro. What like, freaky I can't, shit? I can't do. <laughs> well, we're thinking about the same show. I saw like a trailer for it, and I'm like, bro, this is gonna this is too scary. I can't do this. Oh, it was kind of freaky at times. It, yeah, it, it, I saw was, some trailers. I was like, nah, bro, this is too no, scary but, for me. No, but it, was, but it was a show. This is years ago, right? This is like a couple years yeah. ago, right? Like Terrence and Nance. And sometimes it's really funny. And sometimes it, it was surreal to the point of being frightening. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it, like, you know, some, sometimes it was just like, oh. Um, but what I'm saying is that a lot of these shows, they're so experimentation, they're so experimental in nature that they leave you asking so many questions. And to me, that's what Atlanta's doing right now. I wouldn't consider it to be a comedy anymore. And I think that for a lot of the people who love the show from before, they're gonna look at the fact that they're not really laughing and like it's gonna bother them. The show's premiered, and once again, we're in the fourth and final season of Atlanta. It's premiered. Nobody is talking about it. I mean, I've also been thinking about this. Is it just the way... I think it's really, really hard for comedy as a genre in 2022 because what tends to happen is is that a comedy will come out, it will break the form, or we'll do something that we have never seen before. And for the first season or two, we're we're all like, oh my gosh, yes. And then third, fourth season, fifth season comes and people start being like, 
yeah, it's not changing the game like it used to. And I'm like, that's, you can't, like, all right, perfect example, Ted Lasso. First season, everybody loves Ted Lasso. Nobody can say anything bad about Ted Lasso. Second season gets a little darker, starts, a little darker. Interroga- yeah. starts interrogating some stuff about Ted's life, his father, going to therapy. Everybody's like, the show's not doing the thing that I wanted it to do anymore. And I'm just like, that's that's an impossible standard to hold a show to in terms of like a show can only really wow you and bowl you over once or twice. Trying to do it again and again, I'm just like, that's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. And I think that's what, we expect comedy to do in a way where it's like succession season one, two, three, they're all succession. They've all been succession. It's not changing yeah. the game. It's just doing something at a very, very high, high, high level. Yeah. Whereas with comedy, we're like, all right, where's the next joke? Where's the next, like, where's well, the next I surprise? Mean, people like to laugh. Look, this is what I'll say. What do you think? So there's a point in this, in this, Earn is looking for D'Angelo. Yeah. And he can't access D'Angelo. Um, in a normal way. And this is kind of what I like about Atlanta. It's not kind of what I like. It's what I love about Atlanta. What Earn, what Atlanta is saying about D'Angelo, we all know it to be true, <laughs> but it's like a it's like a cultural understanding that D'Angelo exists outside of the confines of what we would consider to be a normal musician. You know what I mean? Like he he is kind of a a vibe. He's like a human vibe. He's like, he comes out, he's got very easy, accessible songs. He remakes Cruising by Marvin Gaye, uh, Beautiful Eyes of Mine. He's got Brown Sugar. He's got all of these records and these records are just great, right? Cool. Then he comes back out and then his, and he's regular D'Angelo. Then all of a sudden, he's like shredded, right? Yes. He comes back out and he's shredded. Drops one of the greatest albums of all time. Greatest becomes a legend, time. living legend. He, yeah, like he's 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 shredded, and he does his video, and people can't stop talking about this video for forever. The next time we see D'Angelo, he switched positions. He's gone from wide receiver to linebacker. He he he's we we don't realize he's with Angie Stone. He is like a true force of black cultural nature and almost nothing that somebody would say about him you wouldn't believe was true. If I told you right now D'Angelo was dating Anna Wintour, you'd be like, huh, I can see that. All right, but to be fair also to D'Angelo, his life was destroyed. Like anytime people would talk about him, it became about his abs, his sex appeal. And he's been very, very open about like, he went into a very, very dark place. And I oh, put, no, for sure. But I put D'Angelo in a specific group of artists where we will accept more from them in terms of just like the weirdness. D'Angelo's in this. MF Doom is in this. Is this Rest in Peace? Lauren Hill, Jay Electronica. There's like a, there's a small group of black artists where there is something that we will just never be able to understand about them. And we just kind of understand it, you know what I mean? And so when I watch an urn on this, on this, this, this uh this journey to find D'Angelo, it almost to me represented this journey to find that unspoken cultural thing that we all know. And like, do we still have it? I really got deep into this. He gets there, he hears a familiar sound. He sees a guy that's so into chicken 
that he's into the part of the chicken we all love the most, which is the skin. He's making a chicken skin sandwich. No, a chicken skin peanut butter and Lowry sandwich, which I almost peeped, bro. Just disgusting. But we <laughs> see this dude, like we see all of this, right? And then when he gets there, it's not the real D'Angelo. And so for me, the A plot and B plots almost tie together because it's like, are the things that we think are real to us or were real to us, are they real anymore? Are there things that just sound like we remember them? Are there things that just look like we remember them? Are there things that just feel like we remember them? Like what we're talking about right now, what is real comedy? What is real soul music? What is, is, is Adele real soul music or do you have to have Jasmine Sullivan? Like what is real art? Like, and, and we're going on the same journey but sometimes it feels like we're not getting the same feeling. And is it their fault or is it our fault? I looked at this. I watched this whole sequence so many times. It was, and I don't give a fuck whether or not I laughed throughout the show. The fucking show made me fucking right. think. But to be fair, Earn waiting for a week to see D'Angelo open up the locker <laughs> and seeing Dasani. I did laugh. Like, I was like, this is fucking hilarious. Dasani is disgusting. But yeah, what I want to talk to you about is... Paperboy at the end of the episode. So Paperboy ends up finding a young white avatar, the Yodel kid. He wins a Grammy. The kid dies and overdoses. And Paperboy asks Ern how he does this. How does he be a manager? You could tell like Paperboy's tired and kind of disgusted about what he's had to do. And Ern replies to him, I just remember it's not about what feels good. It's about what survives. And you have to go back and think about why Earn was on this journey to sign D'Angelo because he did not want to work on something that was so utterly racist. So what does he do? He knows a homegirl who got a connection with D'Angelo. Now, me, immediately, I'm like, Earn, why would you want to sign one of our greatest Black musicians of all time to this obviously racist company? It's going to help you, but it's probably not going to do anything to D'Angelo. D'Angelo gets there, got a shout out, the black man reading Jet, because there was a lot of Jet magazines in my grandparents' house. Shout out Jet. Anyway, you have to think about how there's a barrier. D'Angelo, the, the symbol of him going into that place, there's, that is literally a symbol of what black artists of that ilk have to do to protect themselves from bullshit. Earn doesn't want to ruin D'Angelo's career, but they put him through those paces because D'Angelo knows the minute I let an Earn sign me to this management company is the minute I'm thrown back into an industry that almost destroyed me. If you look at, if you look at the title of this, Born to Die, the young white avatars, sure, they are a way you can get money. What happens to Yodel Kid? He, he overdoses. Yeah. Like, there's literally, you are watching... The A plot, the B plot, what they do so geniusly is like, hey, even if you do have a young white avatar, even if you are one of the greatest black musicians of all time, at the end of the day, you're both going to the same direction where the industry is literally going to spit you out. It's going to kill you. And that's what I liked about Earn kind of like, he even gets that. He's just like, it's not worth it. At the end of that, he's like, no, it's just, I, this is not what I need to do. He literally, the only thing that as a manager he can do and as a fan of music he can do 
is try to support stuff that can survive the bullshit. You know what's funny, though? When he gets there to the fake D'Angelo, and the guy's not real. He's not the real D'Angelo. He's waited all that time. There was a skeleton up there of somebody waiting for D'Angelo, somebody who didn't have the cachet to understand, who wasn't culturally qualified to even get as close as what he got. When he gets there to the guy, the guy's not D'Angelo. You know what he tells him? You sound good, though. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good. I'm not saying you're whack. You're just not the real thing. I mean, it sounds good, though. You know what I mean? It, like, it's not... It's not like it's not like sonically, and we talk. We have this conversation all the time. It's like, bruh, like, I mean, sonically, it's not whack, but does it give you that fucking thing? Like, do I you, do you remember you, when I was at your house, and I'm like, we need to watch Ice Spice. We need to have this conversation. Wait, right, right. We watch Ice Spice. It's like we watch Ice Spice. Man, shout out to Ice Spice. I mean, shit, it's sonically, it's you know, we, it's, you know, we got y'all about haters. That shit ain't that. We got bad, right? we got to talk about the visuals when we talk about Ice Spice too. But but um, <laughs> Jonathan Kerma just wrote best rapper live. You horny ass motherfucker. Sit down, Johnny, y'all, y'all. I know what's I know what y'all want. I know what y'all want with this Ice Spice. Shit. <laughs> I know what y'all want. But yeah, so it's. It's it's interesting to, to see how the show is because the show is setting up for for finale, right? I think the show is litigating authenticity. Like, is we haven't gotten really to Darius yet this season, but was Ern's feelings about the 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 white lady at the uh, at the TSA was that authentic or was that trauma jumping out of itself? You know, at the end of the uh, in the in the episode, he says, "I really need to go back to therapy." So all the stuff that he went through, his his answer to the question was, "I need to work on myself." You know what I mean? Um, is any was is 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 in this situation is what Earn wants authentic? Is Paperboy's career authentic? Is is Van and Earn's relationship is it real? What's like what's real? Maybe real is a better word. What's real, uh, and like what's not? Uh, and I think that's kind of what this was about. But you know what? To your point, it doesn't matter if it's real or if it's not. One day it's going to be gone. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have not smoked. I am not high. I want to get meta on you, Vin. Okay? Uh-huh. Let me pitch you on something. So, one of the rappers, I believe his name is Bunk, tells Alfred, quote, your album would be better, but no one wants to hear you because you're old. You can never get bigger than your last album. Is part of this episode in a very meta way. I don't know if it's intentional or not. The life cycle of Atlanta is the life cycle of a black street rapper. Oh, without a doubt. First two seasons, everybody's like, this is the hottest shit. This is the hottest shit. Third, fourth season, all we, all we can talk about, all anyone can talk about, is Atlanta wash? Is Atlanta funny anymore? Does Atlanta have it anymore? Think about what happened in between those first two seasons. What happens on FX? Dave comes out a show that is indebted to Atlanta that is about a white rapper. So when they say your album would be better, but no one wants to hear you because you old, you can never get bigger than your last album. I do think part of this episode, whether it's intentional or not, is litigating the fact of like, Atlanta's fucked. They will never be able to restore the feeling of the first two seasons in the same way Nas will never be able to make Elmatic. There's a certain level of like, when you reach a certain level of culture, you will, the audience will always be like, I want that feeling again. Even though I'm like, the creators cannot do that. No one could give us that feeling again because we had never seen it before. It was something that we were experiencing for the first time. And now that we're in the third or fourth season, we're all having this moment of like, oh man, I don't know. All these are... They're out of touch. They're not funny. They're not this. They're not that. And I'm like, that's how we treat Chief Keith. That's why they use Chief Keith in the PowerPoint. Like, think about it. Like, it's not. And I, that's probably why I like this episode a lot because it's like Dave, the reason that nobody's going to be like, hey, Dave season three ain't, ain't hitting like that is because we never expected anything from Dave. We never did. Well, to be honest with you, I think, I don't think we expected anything from Atlanta either, right? I think we were pleasantly surprised at what we got from Atlanta, and it it was more genius than any of us thought. After, like, there was a couple of commercials, and then another commercial. I'm like, "Yo, it seems like he's going for something different here." And then it was it came out. I think your Dave point is so amazing because of this. We talked about Atlanta as not really being funny anymore, and Dave is going for the comedy on a level that Atlanta never even tried. Atlanta never tried to be, even when Atlanta was ha, 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 when you really were laughing, Atlanta never tried to be as funny as Dave is. Like, you think about the funny episode of of, of Atlanta when um we could talk about things that made us laugh in the show, but when his barber is taking the ball around. That's totally different than the slapstick almost... Uh, uh, something about Mary level comedy that you get in Dave, which is a very funny show. Okay. Um, and to your point, I do think that when I think about it now, there, it, this might be a commentary on that. Atlanta might be trying to subvert that a little bit. But even when I said, like, we didn't expect anything from Dave, where our expectations from Atlanta after those first two seasons are. Okay. After the first two seasons. Yeah, for sure. Are you need to change. TV every single time. Nobody is watching Dave being like, Dave can just be funny. Dave can just exist. We have to kill it. White people just get to have fun. Yodel Kid quite literally 
just gets to exist and yodel and he's about to win a Grammy. He's literally getting them through a door that they can no longer, that they can't access. Most street rappers cannot access. For when you are black and you make something amazing, it's like, okay, cool, do it again. Do, do it again. But because, like, and that's why I think that this episode is really, really genius because it is interrogating the ways that we talk about black art, the way we throw away black art, the way we literally, it's never enough. It's not even enough that D'Angelo gave us what he gave us. Right. What's there to What's there to manage? What is there to manage with D'Angelo? D'Angelo appears when he wants to, gives us what he wants and disappears. What's there to manage? But it's not enough. Right. But also in that situation, remember, the specter of going to get D'Angelo is saving Earn. Yes. That's allowing Earn to not have to be a part of a world that he knows he doesn't want to be a part of. So but what, what do we? But I'll ask you this: What do we expect from those levels of artists? We expect every single time Beyonce to come out that she's going to save us. She's going to say something that'll make us feel better about Absolutely. our lives, about about what's going on with us. We need you to come with us, and sometimes, and more often than not, we get that. Look, I think this was kind of a thing with Kendrick. If we're talking about uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, okay? If I think this was a thing with Kendrick. Kendrick put out an album that mattered to him, songs that he liked, and people were like, yeah, but you're Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Like, I, like you know, like you're Kendrick Lamar. I can even go back to Drake. Never has there been as, an, as anticipated. I think the three most anticipated debut albums I can remember in hip-hop, these are the three most ones I can remember. Doggy style, you were you weren't outside. Okay. I was not outside. You weren't outside. Classic album. <laughs> Get Richard Die Trying, which was just like everybody just expected. I never, I've never seen somebody deliver on that level. Shout out to Fifty. I've Wait, never uh, seen no delivered. Yes, but was it expected or? Oh Jesus Christ, bro! There have been so much talk around Fifty for so long. Wanks had come out. They dropped in the club. Like, the anticipation level was off the charts. I wouldn't say it was the same for Doggy Style. Doggy Style was still probably the most anticipated debut in rap I've ever ever seen. Doggy Style's number one. And the third one is is Thank Me Later. (laughs) I'm being for real. I'm not arguing with you because now that I'm thinking about it, because, like, I don't think we had ever really seen, like, the mixtapes in terms of internet culture. Uh-huh. We had never seen somebody be like, motherfucker almost got a number one song off a fucking yeah. throwaway mixtape. And now right. we got to do the album. And Drake said, Drake said, I remember the album came out and it's, 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 it's okay, right? And Drake was like, yeah, I just think it was important for people to get through the opening process of the album. Like, and they were like, what do you mean? It's like the fact that they were opening the packages on their CDs and angels and butterflies and all of that stuff didn't fly out of it. You know, it's music. And so I think people, and, and, and I, I, you know, and I, I think about that, like I think about the fact that these, these people that we look to, we really put, we're so connected to art. We're so connected to it that we don't just put our entertainment on their shoulders. We put our experience on their shoulders. We don't just get let down when something doesn't meet our our artistic uh, expectations. We get betrayed. Let's be honest. Like when Kendrick (laughs) dropped that album, it was like 
I was on the TL. People was like, wait. Is this it? Is he dropping another? People trying to like convince themselves nah, nah, there really, was another album I, coming. I really liked the album, but I'm not talking about the quality of the album. I'm just talking about the chatter around it. Yeah, it was not the chatter that like a good kid or a damn had. Let's be honest. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And so, to your point, I think a lot of that, like, is is like think about what Earn went through to get to D'Angelo. Like, he slept somewhere. He had to drink the bad water. All of that stuff, that's like black people shit. He slept uncomfortably. He had to drink the bad water. It's a dude with a perm sitting there. Literally somebody gatekeeping him. That's like black shit. (laughs) All of that shit is like black shit. And then you get there, and the only thing you want is the release that this artist can give to you. And when you get there, it's not the real thing. I I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And And once again... It all goes back to when we think about not only this episode of Atlanta, but Atlanta on the whole. I'll ask you this. If we got born to die in season two. It wouldn't have worked. No, but what I'm saying is if we saw an episode like that before the legend of Atlanta was built we think about it differently. Like, I like this episode a lot. I think it's among one of the best. But our our conception of who Donald Glover is, what the Atlanta creators are, what they've done, is way bigger than what it actually is in reality. And that's the same thing with a Kendrick. That's the same thing with a Hove. That's the same thing with a lot of black art. Our feelings upon the shit that you gave us in your the beginning of your career is different than when you've matured. And that's what I think a lot of this season is interrogating. Because like, what happens to Blue Blood? Nobody knows his album came out. He's been dead for five months. Blue Blood is a legend, and it doesn't fucking matter. I know we got to get out of here, but I want to ask you about one show. And I feel like, do you remember the reaction to Teddy Perkins? Yes. Teddy Perkins was the first time, for me personally, that I remember Atlanta really, really shaking some of these niggas. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like Teddy Perkins was the one like hey bro I didn't understand this one bro what the fuck who was that guy oh this who is wild because I think Teddy Perkins is easily the best episode of Atlanta I'm not saying it wasn't I'm saying but to I, me, yeah. I, I, I loved it but people were like yo what's like what's that like it was I remember even Coleco was like yo that was scary like what like what will like what like what's yeah. the deal and so I feel like the sh- I, look I don't know I could I could wax poetic about what the shit. No, was. no, I'd go because I'm interested because you are right. When Teddy Perkins came out, I think it was divided. I think you had like the TV critic Loved contingent it. who are yeah. like, oh my gosh, they have just reached a new level. And then there was the other contingent of like, bro, where's my fucking show about being a rapper in Atlanta? Yeah, what the hell does this have to do with anything? And I and you know, and I think that. Donald Glover and the rest of the crew over there, Steven and all the great writers that they have, they're rebellious artists. And they want more. It's very rare that creatives want more from you. Really, creatives think about serving you, right? Yeah. They think about, hey, let's put a fucking dolphin in the movie. People like dolphins. But like when you get a group that wants more from you, and to be honest with you, that's what happens in rap a lot. 
Like what happens in rap a lot is you get out there and you have something to say. You don't give a fuck what it is, right? You're going to say it. You're going you're gonna to make people fuck with you because your rhymes, your production, your ethos, your message, your persona is so undeniable that they can't stop you, right? They, they can't stop it. They're going to come fuck with you no matter what. You hear it in the club, you can't stop yourself, right? You hear heat, you can't stop yourself. After that, there's a point where you keep dragging them to you, and then there's a point where you start going to them. It like it changes. It, it changes to where now, rather than come out and be the artistic rebel, you become the artistic slave. Because they want the thing that they came to you first, and you don't know how to change it and make them come back again. And just to kind of see that litigated, the way it's being litigated to me, is really awesome to me. I mean, it's we see it in rap all the time. Oh, Drake yeah. just did it with Honestly Nevermind, where it's like, he does one thing where it's like, Drake is mostly throughout his career giving us what he wants. He gives us the albums. Like, he's just yeah. like, here's the fucking hit, here's the club shit, go. He gives yeah. us one fucking dance album and motherfuckers is just like, what is this? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Kendrick yeah. is like, hey guys, I went to therapy. I want to give you something special that like meant a lot to me. Right. And we like, yo, where's fucking money trees? Where's DNA, Kendrick? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you talking yeah. about your aunties and all this shit? Like, nah, bro. Like, and I and did... Then, <laughs> when he did the auntie thing, he thought... I bet he thought people was going to be like, God damn, how refreshing the rapper. They was like, nah. You did name? <laughs> you did all of that? Like, you know what I mean? And it's like... I, that, come on, man. He, he kind of whiffed on that one politically and just... I don't know. We can talk music. about it at a different time. I think that it matters where that came from. And like, nah, bro. Nah, think intent, I think intent... I, I, think in, I think on that record, I think intent matters, bro. No, man. Bro, I, I really on do. that shit. I think, I, bro, on that record, I think intent matters, bro. I think I think it matters, and you know it doesn't save you, but it matters. <laughs> you said it don't save. You. <laughs> Yo, bro. All right, last thing before we get before we get out of here, I want to go back to the PowerPoint. It made me sad because, like, they use they use Chief Keith, and I'm like, let me look at. Can you? How old do you think Chief Keith is? Uh, probably about 25, 26. Is he that old? He was like 16. Like literally like 16 years old. Yo, Chief Keith is 27. That's nuts. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the thing. That actually made me sad. That's fucking crazy, bro. Like, dog, that's so <laughs> nuts that he's in his 20s. I'm not, bro, like, I'm like, I'm like, look, bro, that's so, I, even though I said that, I was expecting you to come back. He's 31, 32. But like, this was literally. Chief Keith was blowing up. I want you guys. Chief Keith was blowing up. It was my first or second year at TMZ. Like, think about that. It was my first or second year at TMZ. And Chief, and they were, and we got Kid Reed out there. Kid was like, "This is Kid Chief Keith from Chicago." I'm like, "God damn, yeah." But the, when when they were going through those three stages, it was what makes that PowerPoint kind of hurt, but very funny. Is that like by the time. Chief Keith becomes an OG. He's 27. And you litigate it. Where does Paperboy come from? Paperboy comes from the streets. Motherfuckers are not surviving. Most people aren't surviving if you're really out there till you're 27, 28, 29, 30. You are literally old once you get to that point. Shit, you old at 18. 
Yeah. So if it's you like, if you if you've been on the streets, like if you've been on the street living that life, yeah, you old at eighteen. So that is also what I think is kind of the heartbreaking thing about this episode, where it's like Paperboy survived. He's like he's done it. He's like Paperboy is like what late thirties, still young for a human. And the world, kids, white kids who are literally profiting off of a culture that Alfred helped survive and thrive. Just look at him and be like, yo, sit in the corner. Just collect your check, bro. It's our time now. And I'm like, yo, I don't know, man. That's a rough fucking world to live in. That's crazy, bro. Another great episode. Another great episode. The white podcasters are telling you, Van, yo, go sit in the fucking corner. Oh, shut up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have some white substitutes for higher learning. We're going like, to yeah, we're gonna get some white avatars in here. Yo, dog, <laughs> we should get some white avatars. We should. We should get some white avatars. We should. <laughs> we should get some white avatars. Like, why not? <laughs> I bet you I bet you right now I can get a white avatar to do a podcast like I wanted to do it and that'd be twice as big. Be Joe Rogan. It'd be Joe Rogan level. Doing the same, the same shit. White avatars. <laughs> Guys, that has been our episode of the Prestige TV podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Van, as always, for bringing his uh, old head wisdom. Thank you to John Kerma for being uh, very horny for Ice Spice, but also producing this podcast. And yo, we'll be back next week to talk about the fourth episode of Atlanta. See you soon. <laughs>